I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier. We're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass, busted draft pick, and game-changing play. Or play call. Intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Sorry, Marshawn, still too soon. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow and listen to Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. I mean, the possibilities are limitless, Kevin. What if Portland drafted Michael Jordan? What if the NBA never vetoed the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers? That's a butterfly effect for real. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. Fly ball and back in the deep right center field. Lorenzo King. Got you covered with the best in the business. Deep down the left field line, it's gone. Manny Machado breaks it open with a three-run shot. With veteran play-by-play voice Josh Lewin. A slam ball game! And MLB insider John Heyman. His numbers would look so much better if there weren't guys compiling 600 home runs. Each week will feature a comprehensive look at Major League Baseball, the biggest stories, and a breakdown of the divisions leading up to the 2019 championship race. It's all right here on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class alongside very well-respected baseball insider John Heyman. Josh Lewin, and hopefully you've gotten the, the little run of the show so far. Hopefully you've subscribed and you've told all your friends to do the same thing. John, of course, has been covering Major League Baseball for quite some time. Started on the Yankees beat with Newsday. He's now an insider for MLB Network, among other gigs. I'm working for the Red Sox, uh, doing play-by-play got some other things in the hopper too but it's not about us it's about major league baseball and uh, each week we'll bring you insight into the top storylines across the big leagues including a rundown of everything in every division we're going to jump in on that momentarily we'll have a couple of different chats for you today jeff blum of the astros television network reds general manager nick crawl who's somehow got a team that's gone from 29th to second in era this year we thought that was newsworthy so we'll talk to him Big Time Baseball is a part of Radio.com, allows you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. Listen to over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts. We are one of them. You can follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. And, John, I want to dive in with kind of a simple question, which is who's the best team in baseball right now? The, The NBA and NHL are both down to a Final Four In hockey, it's four teams you never would have expected. In basketball, I guess it's the four teams you're probably expected, maybe minus Portland. But if the baseball season ended today, 
The tote board tells us the four best teams are, statistically, Minnesota, Houston, the Dodgers, and the Cubs. So, is that your mid-May Mount Rushmore, or do the standings lie a little bit? Go with those four teams and include Minnesota in there. I know a lot of teams would not, a lot of people would not include Minnesota, but I, I did pick them uh, at the beginning of the year in that division. I, I like their offense. I saw them in spring training. I thought they looked fantastic, and uh, I'm going to go that L.A. Houston. Uh, Minnesota and uh, Chicago Cubs. Uh, how do you see it, Josh? Yeah, it, it's a tough one. I mean, I left out the Rays. I left out the Twins, although uh, kudos to you because it seems like every podcast we mentioned, you're the one guy that picked Minnesota this year, and I think you are going to end up being right. But I've, I've got the Astros in there. I've got the Cubs in there. I've got Philly in there because I don't think the Phillies hmm. have hit their stride yet, and I still think they're very good. And along those lines, not just because I'm working for them right now, I like what the Red Sox are doing right now a lot. I mean, for a team that started 6-13, and 13, I think they're looking pretty sparkly right about Yeah, now. they, they switched places with Seattle. Seattle was fantastic. The right. Red Sox terrible, and it is completely switched. They played each other and re- really showed, I think, what the Red Sox were made of and maybe what Seattle is, too. I mean, they did appear to be a rebuilding team. That did seem to be their intention, although they don't like using that word. So uh, I think we're back to normalcy, I think, with those two teams. And I can certainly see the Red Sox in there. I did like Philly at the beginning of the year as well. And they look like they've got something special going on. I'm not sure on paper if they're as good as L.A. and the Cubs and and the Astros. But, uh, you know, on paper, those are probably the three best that uh, it game doesn't always play out on paper. Yeah, I think it's kind of water finds its level, right? I mean, the Red Sox are a great example. They started 6-13. and 13. They had a minus 42 run differential. Since then, it's a plus 69, and they're 16-6. and six. So they, they've made some major gains on Tampa Bay. And, and let's talk about Tampa Bay, because I didn't really mean to, to leave them out of that mm-hmm. top four. I think they're a solid number five, as a matter of fact. But despite Snellzilla... Uh, despite some big numbers from some young players offensively. There's Kyler Glass now. I mean, that's four to six weeks for the forearm strain, and sometimes you don't come right back from that. No question about that, and that's a concern. He was pitching absolutely fabulously, and I think Tampa's going to look at it pretty seriously, and they're taking themselves very seriously as well. And a little bit of news here, and I don't think we've seen this out there yet, but I do think that the Rays are looking at Dallas Keuchel. I know the Rays Ooh. have been connected. Yes, yes. I thought you'd pop with, with, with one of these. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're like the, the big-time insider rumor monger guy, so th- this, uh, this could have some legs. I like that. Yeah, I mean, they've been connected to Kimbrell already, and uh, that shocked a lot of people, but I think that is true as well. They've looked at it. Uh, they are not one of these teams that's anywhere near the luxury tax threshold, as we know. They're at the very bottom of the salary standings, as a matter of fact, and it's uh, a credit to them. They've been able to put together such a good team with such a low payroll, but uh, once that draft cho- choice goes away, both of these pitchers, and uh, both terrific pitchers, I think Tampa Bay and other teams will be looking seriously at both pitchers. And uh, last year it was kind of interesting. They they basically had that one starter in Snell and got by uh, with some moxie and some brains and figured it out with the openers and all that. And uh, now they're looking at the rotation, and Dallas Keuchel would be uh, something interesting for Tampa. And we know the Yankees are, are, are interested in, in uh, Keuchel once that draft choice goes away, too. So uh, both either, either of those teams could be improved uh, and make that AL East even more interesting. Well, I, I like that you got the Tampa Bay angle out there, though. And, and you're right about the Yankees. Aaron Boone's still trying to make a make a dollar out of 15 cents, so to speak, and I think he's doing a great job. Uh, AL Central. 
it's a division with uh, three teams, Chicago, Detroit, Kansas City, in various stages of rebuild or post-tanking or whatever you want to call it. So the Indians, uh, we mentioned, everybody, it seems like, except for you, figured they'd just kind of jump up to the top and stay there this year. But then Lindor had the spring training calf injury, and, and Jose Ramirez, until very recently, was doing nothing. And you start to think, okay, I mean, when, when you haven't won a title in more than 70 years, you, you don't just wave the surrender flag. I get that. But is there a chance that as this season unspools, and if Cleveland is stuck in the mud and Minnesota is still on top, the Indians hold an option for, for Kluber for 2020, Bowers under control through the end of next year. So uh, they could show some patience. And, and But where do you see that all going here for the Indians? Well, we, we thought they were taking a little bit of a pullback, and I knew I was doing a little bit of an upset pick with uh, Minnesota. I really liked them in spring training, and I loved their offense. And I thought Cleveland was a little top-heavy. So injuries could certainly make a big dent with Cleveland. And you mentioned the two offensive performers, Lindor, had been out for a while. Uh, Ramirez has not performed like he certainly did it last year. And, of course, on the pitching front, uh, losing Kluber has, is really going to be a major, major loss for them. And uh, Clevenger out as well. So, uh, you know, this is a team that it's top-heavy, and you lose some stars like that, it really, really makes a big difference. So I, I think the Indians uh, are in tough shape right now. Uh, right now, I think... Almost anybody would pick the Twins to win. I know we're only, uh, you know, one quarter the way through, but if you look at the way the teams have played and the injuries to the Indians, right now Minnesota looks like the favorite in that division. I know that switched around rather quickly, but uh, Minnesota's got an offense that's rather relentless, and uh, I think they're going to do it. Well, and the pitching, my goodness, here in May, they've got the best ERA from their starters by almost a full run of games so far in May in the entire major league. So, you know, we don't even talk about Nelson Cruz and Marwan Gonzalez and Jonathan right. Scope and all those low-risk kind of team-friendly offensive players they brought on. Uh, let me go AL West with you, John, for a second here. I don't want to forget about Oakland here because Mike Fires might be the most unlikely pitcher ever to have thrown two no-hitters. And, uh, you know, his ERA at the most um, recent one was 6.8. And I'm just uh, I'm astonished by Mike Fires because I, I saw him when, when he passed through Fenway. I'm thinking, wow, this guy looks like he is on his very last dying embers here. He's now got two career complete games. They are both no hitters. That, that's astonishing to me. Two complete games, two no hitters. Incredible uh, stat. Uh, you know, look, Verlander, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher, uh, through 100, now throws 98, hasn't lost much. Uh, he's got two no-hitters, you know, three no-hitters, four no-hitters. I mean, Ryan had four, uh, three, I think it was Feller and Koufax, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure I could be correct on that later. But, uh, you know, if he gets a third no-hitter, I mean, I think that's the mo- that'd be the most incredible stat in sports. Right now, it's pretty close. Uh, two no-hitters for Mike Fires, And I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from him. You have to be an amazing pitcher to make yeah, the but major no, but leagues. Yeah, but it'd, it'd be like a bench player in the NBA having two 50-point games. doesn't make any sense. Right, like and a four-home run game. Mike, Mike Cameron had a four-home run game. I'm like, you know, Mike Cameron's not really an elite home run hitter. Yeah, but he's not that he's guy. He's a pretty good player. He's a pretty good player. Mike Fires is an average pitcher to have two no-hitters. Amazing. So staying in that division, and it's funny because Matt Harvey, who you and I both covered with the Mets, I mean, when he first came on, if anybody was two no-hitter, three no-hitter, four no-hitter worthy, you would have thought it was a dark night. But here he is with the Angels, ERA mid-sixes, and has been incredibly inconsistent. That's a pretty sad story, isn't it? 
Yeah, and it looked like he made an, a comeback and then um, in the World Series insisted to pitch. That obviously didn't work out well for the team. And uh, just so many innings uh, that year. And, uh, you know, there was that big debate uh, between his agents and the Mets. Uh, do we really keep him to 170, 175 innings? Uh, we, we might win the World Series. And, you know, I think his ego got him. And he said, I'm going to pitch. We're going to you know, we're gonna do it. I mean, he started hearing from the fans. Uh, there aren't many chances to win a World Series, and uh, you know uh, he's had two serious injuries. You know the thoracic outlet and the Tommy John, and uh, you know to have two injuries like that and to to not uh, keep to your innings limit, I think it's probably caught up to him. I said it is to say um, it was amazing to me that he got an 11 million dollar deal off of the year that he had. He was serviceable in Cincinnati in a tough park. Give him credit, but I think he got it on his name, and uh, right now he's not pitching to that name. Speaking of Cincinnati, Nick Kroll is going to join us in just a little bit. Reds GM, this is Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports, along with John Heyman, Josh Lewin. Let's go ahead and jump tracks here, John. want to jump into the East and talk about the Nats. It would not be the Nats if it wasn't a weekly, monthly, or annual uh, layer and layer of intrigue and nonsense. And it seems that the possibility of, of the GM maybe having lost his, uh, his golden touch, that's been a conversation for a while. Obviously, the manager doesn't look like he ever had a golden touch at this point. Where are the Nationals? Where are they going? I don't know if I'm going to be breaking much new ground here. I think we, last week we talked about Davey Martinez and suggested uh, he was three, one of three managers in that division alone who probably should be a little bit concerned about their jobs. Uh, I don't think that's Don Mattingly's fault over there. Uh, it clearly is not. So, uh, but uh, he, there's a question there uh, with him, obviously, and then with Davey Martinez with the Nats. Uh, you know, things just have not gotten much better. Obviously, they've had some serious injuries, losing the two through five. Uh, that's crushing. Uh, Trey Turner still out. Uh, that hurts them. Uh, you know, it, it's been a tough go, but uh, off of last year, uh, Davey Martinez probably needed a big year, and right now it doesn't look like it's going to be that big year. Uh, we shall see. On paper, it's a very good team. Uh, they have obviously good players. Once they're all together, you got to wonder about bullpen and whether that's ever going to allow them to get back in it and 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 do it. Um, but uh, right now, Davey Martinez is in a in a tough spot. I think. Uh, in that division, a tough division, maybe not as tough as we thought, but uh, Philly playing very well. And uh, just, a lot, as you said, a lot of intrigue with the Nats. Uh, could be some intrigue with the GM. We'll talk about that more in the Insider. A lot going on there. And then big question of what they do if they don't get back in it. And I, I think that's a serious question right now. I mean, uh, are the Nats going to get right, going to get back in it? Um, you know, uh, they don't look like it right now. Uh, game's not played on paper. And... At present, it does not look great for them at this moment. And, of course, in the NL East, I mentioned three managers. Of course, Mickey Calloway uh, with the Mets is another one whose right. job is a little bit questionable right now. Well, and that, that Nationals bullpen ERA is about six and a half. That doesn't help. If the Nats replace Dave Martinez, their new manager would be their seventh in 11 seasons. So just, just kind of putting that out there. Uh, you, you mentioned the Mets. Cano is struggling. Frazier's really struggling. Thank goodness Pete Alonzo has been what he's been. And I don't know if you caught a lot of the, the back and forth that he and Chris Paddock had. I thought that was awesome. When, when the Mets went out to San <laughs> yes, Diego, otherwise this is a, a pretty sleepy little series, you know, kind of a Monday, <laughs> Tuesday. But this is almost like a wide receiver cornerback 
dynamic where, you know, <laughs> you, you got a cornerback in Paddock talking some trash. And it turns out that uh, Paddock got the best of Alonzo. And, you know, it's a, it's a small ripple, I suppose. But I, I don't know about you, John. I, I, you know, we, we see little tiny feuds like that in a lot of other sports. It's pretty rare in baseball when from out of nowhere a pitcher calls out a hitter and it's just on. I liked it. I, I, Paddock uh, has been terrific on the mound, and I thought it was uh, fun and interesting. And, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's a little bit of the San Diego, New York thing where you've got the beautiful, maybe a little bit sleepy, smaller town, and New York won. Um, I don't think there's an advantage to being in New York for the player of the week or the player of the month or even the MVP. Uh, it doesn't go like that. I know the league office is in New York, but I, I don't think that's why Alonzo won. When Alonzo won the Player of the Month, uh, Rookie Player of the Month. I didn't think anything of it. I said, wow, he had a great month. Of course, it's got to be him. But you look at Paddock, uh, he probably deserved it equally as well. And uh, I thought it was great that he said something. Well, and Paddock, you know, for people that aren't paying attention, here's a guy with an ERA in the ones. Uh, the, the entire pitching staff for San Diego is actually very good. But questions about the innings cap I'm sure are going to come up as the summer moves along. Yeah, they're already uh, let, coming up. Yep, right? absolutely right. And... and just kind of staying NL West as long as we've we've wandered over there. Uh, the Rockies, uh, we, we we knew that their pitching was going to be ooky, and it's been a little bit beyond that. What, what do you do with, with Ian Desmond? Uh, you know, I know Bud Black likes, likes to talk about the Homer and RBI titles, uh, you know, and, and the numbers are, are decent enough from last year, 22 home runs, 88 runs batted in. Are those really good numbers these days, and especially at Coors Field? Do they need to to try something else in there? I know he's got a huge contract, but what do you do? Yeah, I mean, uh, he's going to play at least some. They're not going to just put him on the bench. Uh, He certainly has not produced. If you look at the war numbers, and I think we all do now, um, he he probably does not deserve a starting spot at this point. Uh, He does have a history of being a pretty good player. They did give him a big contract, and... Uh, I think he's going to play at least some. But, I mean, this is a team that should be uh, a contender. Uh, Obviously, last year uh, did make the playoffs. Uh, They have pretty decent young starting pitching, and they have a a dangerous lineup. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, they they need to – uh, probably, for the most part, play their best players, but it's hard. It's $70 million. It's hard to sit somebody totally. It's kind of funny. If you look at the Rockies, they've done a good job drafting and developing, but uh, their free agent moves uh, have not really worked out. Buying all those big bullpen pieces for the money that they spent. Uh, I mean, I love Wade Davis, great closer, but uh, I think the days of the $17, $18 million a year closer or any kind of reliever are gone. And then, of course, Jake McGee and... Uh, Brian Shaw have not worked out for the money that they spent on, on them either. So, um, you know, I, I think they maybe they should just stick to drafting and developing because they've done well at that. I got big questions for you. We'll save them for the Around the Diamond segment at the end about the Giants and the Diamondbacks and some big-name pitchers that they might be uh, considering moving along from. But uh, let's end here. Let's end this segment in the NL Central. And the, the Cubs and Cardinals get a lot of conversation and, and I guess that's deserved as such a great rivalry anyway. But the Cubs, you know, Theo Epstein said that, that the pitching coach, his name came up too often during the, the first nine or ten games of the year. They were two and seven to start out. They had a horrible ERA, something like seven and a half. Well, since then, they've had the best ERA 
in the majors. So now does the pitching coach get a raise? I mean, how does that work? (laughs) Yeah, I think we jumped on the Cubs a little too quickly there. I know there were some prognostications by some of the stat sites, and I'm not knocking the stat sites. Some of their prognostications have been very good, but one of them had them winning 70 games or 70-something games, and uh, that was just silly. They have a fantastic nucleus. And uh, they w- they are a very good team. I happen to pick Milwaukee in that division just because I, I like their lineup a little bit more. Uh, but uh, I-, I think the Cubs are, are obviously a team to be reckoned with. And uh, obviously none of this is or none of that start was Tommy Hadovy's uh, fault uh, at all. Uh, you know, uh, their pitching is good. Obviously, Lester Hamill's terrific. Uh, I still think they have some questions in that bullpen. Maybe they'll answer them. I still have questions about why they are so adamant about staying under the luxury tax threshold when we all know, don't have to see the books, the Cubs print money. So I still got a couple questions, but mostly for ownership there. And uh, that's a very good team, no matter what anybody predicts them to do based on some analytics. All right, since we've waddled into the NL Central, <laughs> let's let's sit down and stay there. Uh, Nick Crawl is going to be joining us in just a moment. Radio.com Sports presenting Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And Nick Crawl, I, I know you know this too, John. We won't, we won't wear him out about this, but I'm always fascinated knowing that he was an intern for Billy Bean when they were actually filming the, the whole Moneyball movie and all that was, was going on. I, what a great thing to stick on your resume. Uh, Nick Crawl, a fascinating background, and I know he's from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, which I lived in as a child, so we have that in common. We always talk about that. Um, and, uh, you know, he's not, I don't think, he's not the typical... A guy that you see are, 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 who has these jobs in Major League Baseball, and they're, you know, he's a young guy, but he's not in that mold of an Ivy League guy. I believe he went to Louisiana State University. Yeah. Uh, good for him that he was able, because basically now, unless you've got a resume that says Harvard, Princeton, or even possibly Brown, Dartmouth, Cornell, uh, it's tough to get a look at in Major League Baseball, and good for Billy Bean that he did, and uh, he found a gem in Nick Kroll, and uh, I love what they're doing in Cincinnati. All right, from the, the Harvard of the Bayou, we will be talking to Nick Kroll <laughs> in just a moment. It, it's big-time baseball. That's John Heyman. I'm Josh Lewin. It, it's up right after this. He started his baseball journey in the A's organization, including his days as a grounds crew member in 2001. Now the Reds general manager to left field. Goodbye. Suarez puts a charge into one. Number 12 and we're tied at four. It's Nick Kroll on Big Time Baseball. With John Heyman, Josh Lewin, it's Big Time Baseball presented by Radio.com Sports. And Nick Kroll joins us, which is great. The Cincinnati Reds have been quite a talking point around baseball, which is a little bit weird just because I think coming into the season, uh, there were people that figured it's going to be a, a cluster at the top that maybe did not include the Reds quite yet. They were not quite ripe on the vine, but it turns out the pitching's really, really good, and they are a contender. So Nick Crawl has put this puppy together, kind enough to join us right now. And as we hit the quarter pole or thereabouts, Nick, what are your thoughts about where your guys are? You know, it, it, it's, it's, uh, I think we've played well. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, we've we haven't won games. We we're five we've, we're five under right now, five under five hundred. But at the same time, we've got a pretty good run differential. Our pitching staff's been phenomenal. Um, our our uh, the the new coaching staff that we've brought in has been really good. I mean, even our offense 
We haven't scored a ton of runs. We've been better lately. Um, we still have a very low batting average on balls in play that, that you know, some of it's going to be a little bit of luck there. But, look, at the end of the day, we've we got to win some games. And, and uh, um, But I think we're playing well. I, I think I think we're, we're, we're in every game. Um, I think we've got uh, 13 one-run loss games and, uh, and, and I think five or six two-run uh, loss games. So it's, uh, it's, it, that's been, been a little frustrating. But, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to watch this team and see this team develop. Um, see the coaching staff, uh, which we brought in just about all new, all new personnel um, uh, grow and, and develop with the players um, and, and just see guys get better. Nick, John Heyman here. I've got to tell you right off the top, I really admire what you did this winter. Off a rough year or two, uh, decided to really rebuild, deep rebuilds in some cases, really aren't trying to win this year. They're playing for the future. You guys did the opposite. You were the one team, and you're in a tough division too, so it wasn't going to be easy to contend, but you went out and got Roark. You went out and got Gray. You went out and got Puig. Uh, you got a lot of veterans to give yourself a chance. Could you tell me what went into that thinking process? Uh, was it a big debate? Were there some that wanted to rebuild? And uh, are you glad you did it this way? And, and how do you see the future shaping up, considering you are trying to do it this way? I think the first and foremost, we, we looked at this and said, okay, are we going to give up the top part of our system? I mean, Nick Senzel's already in the big leagues. He, he's contributing to our club. Um, and, and, you know, obviously he's a, he's, he's a guy that, that people are going to want uh, in, in, in large trades. And we didn't want to do that. We didn't want to give up. We didn't want to mortgage the future um, uh, to, to get – to get guys on this team. So some of it, we did wait out. Um, we, we, we had, you know, we had talks with other clubs um, about, about starting pitchers last year uh, in, in, at the trade deadline. And, you know, we, we just tried to find the deals that we were comfortable making. Um, and, you know, Sonny Gray is, is uh, we were able to sign long-term. Um, so that was, we felt really good about that because it's a long, it's a long-term commitment. Um, and somebody that can make an impact to our club. Um, bringing in Tanner Roark is a guy who has been just tremendous with our club. Um, he's been, he, he's a guy that, that brings a veteran presence um, to a, to a starting staff that's, that's young. Um, but he's been, he's just been tremendous. I mean, he, he knows how to go out and, and give you a quality start and be a professional every day in and day out. Um, and then, you know, with, with some of the guys we've signed, uh, you know, the, Last year uh, was David Hernandez and Jared Hughes. This year, bringing in Zach Duke, you know, guys that that we feel that can be contributors to this club, um, you know, one, two, uh, potentially three years, uh, and 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 see what happens. Um, you know, I think that for us, we have a lot of young kids, and it was it was a, a lot of it was about helping these kids develop, helping these kids um, grow into their roles. Um, the the uh, you know the Eugenio Suarez's of the world, um, guys that we we are building around. Jesse Winker, uh, you know Nixon Zell, who wasn't in the big leagues at the time, but you know we knew would get here at some point. Um, you know, like these these guys are these guys can get to the big leagues, but they also need positive mentors and 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 guys that that can help. And, and we want to build in a winning environment. And you know we we feel that that if we can put a winning environment out there. Uh, for these kids to grow, they're going to be much better players for it. Chatting with Nick Kroll of the Reds, uh, along with John Heyman, I'm Josh Lewin. It's Big Time Baseball, presented by Radio.com Sports. So uh, it's all Nick all the time. It's Nick Kroll, it's Nick Senzel. Uh, one Joey i got to ask you about. Joey Votto, in, I think in an era, Nick, where a lot of big contracts for 
famous first baseman didn't work out real well. It seems like Joey Votto was kind of an outlier because uh, even as he's starting to, to age, I mean, you know, everybody hits their mid-30s and there's a, a small downslope. Uh, it still seems like he's certainly got a lot of, of, uh, of ammo in, in the chamber for you right now. How much do the guys lean on him? How much is he willing to be the guy who has leaned on? You know what? I think Joey's always been that guy who's wanted to be a great player. Um, he, uh, he, he, he patterns his game, uh, you know, around getting enough rest, around eating right, around working in the cage, you know, and doing everything that, that he needs to do to be the player that, that to be the best player he can be. And it's great for our young kids to see him um, and to see what he can do and what he brings to the table. Um, you know, and I, I think that it's, it's, guys ask him questions all the time. Um, you know, I, I, he, I walk through the clubhouse a lot and, and the, you know, he is, he's very open with them um, about little things about how, how to approach a plate appearance, a pitcher, whatever it is. Uh, he's, he's great to have uh, with, with a younger club. Your pitching has been really good, but I want to ask you about a, a couple of offensive players that are, I think are interesting. We've mentioned uh, Nick Senzel. Um, looks like a terrific talent. Uh, some people think that he's really a third baseman and it would be better for him to be a third. He's, uh, I've seen the reports, and he's doing a decent job in the outfield. Uh, and Winker, he showed a little attitude in New York. He's shown some power. Uh, he looks like a potential star. I mean, do you see these two guys as big-time stars, middle-of-the-order type hitters for your team going forward? And uh, is that who you're going to build around? We see them both as legitimate building blocks. I mean, you look at, uh, and I'll first take uh, Nixon Sell. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that, that he's a tremendous athlete. Um, I think that he, he gets he doesn't get enough credit for being the athlete he is. Um, he's he's a, he's a good runner. He's got really good instincts, and he's taken to center field. I mean, look, he's going to have he's going to have his growing pains. I mean, he's I think I want to say he's probably has maybe 25 games played there total in his career, um, and he's gonna, he's you know he's going to keep learning and keep growing in that position. Um, but he is a tremendous athlete, and and he's really worked his butt off to be as as good as he is right now in center field. I mean, he he came he came to spring training ready to go. Um, played in spring training, uh, took balls off the bat every day, um, and then unfortunately he got hurt at the end of spring, um, but then uh, continued to play and play and play uh, as he uh, um, as he was going on, on his injury rehab and, uh, and then uh, got called up. But he's, he's a guy that we feel is, is going to be a tremendous contributor to this club. Uh, Jesse Winker, you know, last year uh, Jesse had a tremendous offensive year. He... Uh, um, he then he got hurt at the end of uh, he got hurt at the end of the season uh, and, and and cut his season short, which was very disappointing. But he, uh, you know, coming into this year, he he really wanted to take a step forward and and, and add some more power to his game, and and he has definitely done that. Um, he's he's got I think nine home runs right now. Um, started off a little bit slow, uh, was still rehabbing from injury uh, through spring training, um, but has really picked it up lately, and, and uh, he has a chance to be a tremendous offensive contributor for us. Nick, it's a really interesting team, and, and we're fascinated to see where it goes. You guys don't have a four-game winning streak or a four-game losing streak yet. It's kind of running on ice uh, early, but, but we'll see where it all goes. Continued success to you, my friend. Thank you so much for spending time with us. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.
That's awesome. Nick Crawl, our guest, and uh, we're, we're going to be efforting at Jeff Blum. He'll be dropping by in just a little bit, too. We'll switch over, talk a little Astros baseball. Still a lot to do, some uh, some interesting things on the baseball horizon. John's got a couple little tidbits for you that we'll get to at the end of the show. But Jeff Blum, up next, this is Big Time Baseball. He was a 14-year major leaguer, including his game-winning home run in the 2005 World Series with the White Sox. Longest game in the World Series history, Blum hits it into right, down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And here in the 14th inning, the White Sox take a 6-5 lead. Now the Astros TV analyst, it's Jeff Blum on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Well, a guy they call Blummer, Jeff Blum, takes some time to join us now. We're going to talk a little Astros baseball. If you don't know Jeff Blum's backstory, I love this, the fact that he ends up being so popular with the Astros. I'll have him tell the story, but he's probably better at it than I am anyway. But uh, if you don't go back to 05, first of all, how young are you? But uh, if you don't remember 05, uh, this guy hit a really important World Series home run to break the Astros' hearts, and now he works for the Astros. So how does that exactly go? Well, you have to go all the way back to uh, 2002 and three when I got traded from Montreal to Houston. And uh, he's had two good years there, and Morgan Ensberg kind of broke out of his shell and became a powerhouse at third base for them, which meant that I was expendable because Jose Viscaino was uh, their utility guy, and they traded me to Tampa Bay. And that's what a lot of people who get angry at me about 05 forget, that I was traded to Tampa Bay and spent uh, a year with Lou Pinella uh, toiling around the American League East before I eventually got released and then signed with San Diego and then eventually traded the Chicago White Sox and spent uh, three months with them and found myself in the World Series playing against a team I had just been uh, <clears throat> traded from a couple of years prior. So I knew a lot of guys in those in that dugout. Uh, eventually hit that game-winning home run in Game 3, and I came back actually and played with the Astros in 2008, 9, and 10, trying to reestablish myself in the community, which took a little while. And upon retirement, they had an opening in their TV booth and hired me. And uh, it's been a work in progress ever since. But I think that the Houston fans have, have welcomed me back. And it's been a work uh, in progress trying to uh, gain their, gain their, uh, you know, their, their honesty and hospitality back. But it's been good. John Heyman here. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Blummer, that's a great nickname. I didn't realize that we all call you that, but that's cool. Uh, yeah, you, you are recalled for that home run against that uh, Astros team, and um, uh, you know that team was not one of the better offensive teams to uh, make it to the World Series. Uh, how is how about this team? Uh, right now, their offense is absolutely on fire. We knew they had great names, a great nucleus. Obviously, they won the World Series a couple of years ago. Uh, they've been a powerhouse, but right now, their offense has been unstoppable. Are, are they this good? Is this what we should expect from Springer and the rest? I would like to say yes, but you guys all you guys follow baseball enough to understand that it's a long season, and when these streaks go like they are right now for the Houston Astros, you really got to embrace it and enjoy it as long as you can because you are going to run into you know parts of the schedule or matchups that aren't going to be uh, as good as they are right now. The Astros had a tough month of April playing teams above 500. And here in the month of May, they're starting to get some opponents who are under 500, and they're 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 padding their stats big time. It, you know, it, as much fun as it is to watch the Astros take care of their in-state rival, the Texas Rangers, they really broke some egos with some of the numbers they were putting up. Uh, I mean, it was close to 26 runs in the last two games, 
and uh, probably twice as many hits that they put up in the last couple of games. So they're feeling pretty good about themselves, and we knew that they were good. But uh, the flashes of brilliance that we're seeing right now are even exceeding a lot of our expectations because, like you and a lot of people in baseball, we felt that 2017 was probably one of the better Astro offenses that we could ever see. And these guys have actually gotten that much better with the addition of Michael Brantley in there. Uh, Carlos Correa is healthy in the middle of that lineup doing damage. Yuli Gurriel's getting back in shape. And it's crazy that we're thinking about how good this Astros offense is right now considering Jose Altuve is hitting around 240 and uh, he's on the injured list and they don't have a legitimate DH. That's what's amazing to me. You mentioned Brantley. You know, you, you look around at all the free agent signings. Brantley signed for $32 million for two years and it was kind of a ripple uh, compared to Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, even A.J. Pollock. And if you want to go ahead and put those four names in a hopper and pull out the one who's producing the most, by far it's Michael Brantley. So uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, talk to me, Jeff, if you would, about the pitching, because obviously any team that's headlined by Verlander, you know it's going to be fine. Uh, you know, you've got the ace, and that's cool. Obviously, there's depth behind that. A lot of American League teams right now, though, are pointing to pitching. Where do you see the Astros matching up when it goes to one versus one, so on down the line? Um, that's probably the most interesting part. I mean, you're right. We are kind of nitpicking a little bit in this rotation because you have Verlander. Garrett Cole is a, is a guy who, uh, you know, once he, he hones in on the strike zone with his stuff, could be a wipeout pitcher, much like a young Justin Verlander. But the, it's a solid one-two punch, and obviously – if you get into the postseason, you've got your one-two set. It's after that where you're kind of questioning a little bit where the Astros could go, and they just added Corbin Martin, a young right arm out of their, uh, you know, out of their prospect list that they have. He pitched great, had himself a nine strikeout afternoon, but it's you know it's the Brad Peacock, it's the Wade Miley's, Colin McHugh. You know how are they going to round out the bottom portion of that rotation? And right now, Colin McHugh is going to the bullpen because Corbin Martin has come up. But uh, Wade Miley, for me, has been a guy that's been a really pleasant surprise, a left-handed pitcher who kind of mixes into this rotation. He's a high-contact guy, uses that excellent Astros defense behind him. He works quick. The guys love him. Uh, Brad Peacock is a guy who kind of uh, – I don't know if he really has a label or a role, but he's a guy that kind of moves between the bullpen and the starting rotation. And last time he was out there, he created 12, uh, 12 strikeouts with his slider fastball mix. So they're having a lot of fun right now mixing and matching. But I think if you really had to uh, – if you were really looking down the stretch, I would imagine that Jeff Luno and some of the uh, Astros front office might be looking around to see if there is an addition they can put in this rotation. And th- I think it's just it's, – it's the fantasy part of you as, as far as a baseball owner. You look at this team and realize how good the offense is, how good your one and two are. And if you added another arm to that uh, rotation, how unbelievable this team would be. Jeff, I think, I think we're nitpicking a little bit, but I'll, I'll do a little of that myself. I did pick them to win the league this year. Uh, they're obviously a powerful team. Uh, Martin, I think, is interesting. He flew under the radar a little bit because all the attention is on Whitley, who's a, the best pitching prospect in baseball by many accounts. Um, I, I'd be interested in you going a little more in depth on Martin and Whitley, what you expect from them. Is Whitley going to be in the majors this year as well? And also, you mentioned them looking around a little bit. I, I know they looked at Keiko a little bit in spring. It looks like that draft choice is going to go away. They're not going to get that compensation. Does that motivate them to go out and maybe go back and get Keiko, who obviously was a big part of their championship team? Um, well, first of all, Corbin Martin, yeah, he's a guy that kind of flew under the radar, radar a little bit and had a great year last year and burst onto the scene and then had a good spring training. And I think he left a good impression on the coaching staff 
namely Brent Strom, because of his ability to throw strikes with 95-plus miles an hour, and he has great secondary pitches for a young pitcher. He has a quality curveball, but he has a phenomenal changeup, and that's really the pitch that jumped out at me the other day when he threw, is he threw him to right-handed hitters, he threw him to left-handed hitters, and there was great depth and movement tailing away from left-handed hitters. He's a strike thrower, and that's what the Astros like. They like those guys that get in the strike zone and work ahead in counts and are efficient. And that's where Forrest Whitley's kind of fallen behind Corbin Martin in the minor leagues with the walks and the inability to locate the fastball because when he is locating his fastball within the zone, it's catching a lot of the plate. And his AAA numbers dictate the ERA and the home runs given up, and that's why he's not here right now. But there's always the potential for Whitley to pitch himself back into prominence because his stuff is so electric also with the upper 90s fastball and good secondary pitches too. But I think the Keiko angle is interesting, too. Like you said, they're losing that draft pick. So there's a lot of internal mechanics and logistics that uh, they're going through right now on whether or not they would want to bring a Dallas Keiko back. Uh, obviously, it might take him a while to get back in. Throw, or he's in shape, but I'm just saying getting back into starting rotation type, type shape where he's stretched out a little bit. So it may be a month or two if you even sign him now where he gets back in that rotation. But that might not be a problem for the Houston Astros with their offense and being able to kind of pacify the situation until he's ready, which I think it would be great also externally because fans would start to show up again to see Dallas Keuchel. There's been a lot of fanfare around Dallas in this uniform, obviously, when he won the Cy Young in 15 and helped his ball club win a World Series championship. But uh, he's a definite option. That's Jeff Blum. You can follow him on Twitter at Blummer27. Continued great work. You were self-deprecating enough to say you're a work in progress, but I've heard your work. You're fantastic. Thank you for joining us, buddy. We'll talk to you again. No, it's great being on with you guys, and I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Very cool. Jeff Blum with us, Radio.com Sports, presenting Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. And coming up, we'll talk with our guy, John Heyman. It's just you and me, buddy. We're going to go around the diamond. We'll do that right after this. Rendon launches one to left. See you barely later. And the game is tied. What are the latest rumors around the game? Josh Lewin and John Heyman go around the diamond on Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Again with John Heyman, Josh Lewin. We're wrapping it up as we always do by breaking down the latest inside info. And so as we go around the diamond, I want to get right back to the, to the talk we had about Washington, John, because there's just a lot of meat on that bone, it seems like. Uh, we haven't even talked about Anthony Rendon. I, I, and if you don't mind, let's start there and, and see if there's an update on his status. But I'm really interested in, in Rizzo and Martinez and where that all goes, too. There's a lot going on there, no question about that. I'm glad you mentioned Anthony Rendon. Um, there was talk a few weeks ago that people were saying that uh, perhaps they'd have an extension for him. He is a free agent after the year, and I did hear that they did make an offer to Anthony Rendon that was said to be creative. And you know how creative offers usually go nowadays, particularly uh, when the player has comps that he feels are pretty obvious. And in Anthony Rendon's case, it's Nolan Arenado. Um, obviously, you could make a case that Arenado might be the better all-around player based on the defense, but if you look at the offense and the war numbers, Rendon, one of three players in the major leagues who had, I believe, at least a six war the last couple of years. 
so he's a very, very good player. And my understanding is that uh, the creative offer was not uh, taken that well. It was uh, suggested to be a minimalist offer, which was not exactly a positive. So um, from my understanding, with four months to go potentially for free agency, uh, there is not going on. Uh, much going on there with Anthony Rendon, and uh, it is very unlikely uh, that they will get this done. But there's a there's a lot going on with the Nats. There's no question about that, and uh, we can even talk about that. You had to handicap it because you keep hearing Martinez, short leash, Rizzo is even on mm-hmm. a leash. Uh, so who stays, sure. who goes? I mean, if, or, or could, could they both go? You know, I think that uh, Davey Martinez right now, because of the way last year went, where they played around 500, where everyone expected them to be a contender, and this year, again, everybody expected to be a contender, and they're at the threshold. They're not over it. Last year, they were the one team in the National League over it, uh, and they have not started well at all. I think it is fair to say that uh, Davey Martinez uh, is on the hot seat now. I know there's been discussion of this. Uh, I'm not sure the likelihood uh, of him losing his job, but... Uh, in terms of Rizzo, I think he's done a terrific job overall. Uh, they, they are interesting uh, every year and obviously been in the playoffs three times, did not get past the first round, but uh, uh, they've been quite good overall. But there's a little tension between ownership and Rizzo, and uh, obviously some of the moves have not worked out. Nobody bets a 1,000, and uh, some of the relievers that he brought in, Bearclaw and Rosenthal, have not worked out uh, as well as they would have hoped. Uh, Eaton hasn't quite made the impact due to injuries that he would have hoped, and there were a couple other moves that didn't quite work out. The big moves have, obviously. The big draft choices uh, have worked uh, for Rizzo and the Nats, but uh, I I think that he's probably safe for the year, but they did only give him a two-year extension. He's only through next year, and I think it's something to keep an eye on uh, going forward. Before we leave the Nationals topic, uh, two words, fire sale, and then question mark? Yeah, I don't think you can rule it out at this point. I mean, they're certainly not playing like they expected to. It, it isn't certain whether they're going to be a contender. Uh, you wonder about that bullpen, whether they're going to let them back in. So I think that's something that they're going to start to think about, and I th- believe that they have started to think about. I'm sure they have it in the back of their mind at this point. They don't, they don't want to think about it. But, um, you know, it, it looks to me like it's a possibility. It's kind of reminiscent of a year that Boston thought they'd be a contender and wasn't and ended up trading Lester and Andrew Miller. I'm wondering if they could trade Doolittle and maybe even Scherzer. It's not going to be easy to do that, but you know what? It's a little bit of a change of ownership there. Ted Lerner had, had been running that team up until several months ago. It's now Mark Lerner and the board. Uh, they may have some different ideas. They've been reluctant to go over the threshold this year. They didn't do it, and um, I think that's a possibility. And the other name, of course, to keep an eye on is the one we've been mentioning, Anthony Rendon. He's a free agent to be, so could happen. I want to get you over to San Francisco here and ask you, when is the right time to finish tearing down the remnants of a, a once proud dynasty? Because the Giants are still a little messy here at best. I mean, it just feels like Bruce Bochy's last couple months here might end up with a, a couple of his most beloved players having moved along. I mean, Madison Bumgarner, Brandon Crawford could be valuable chips to somebody. I know Bumgarner's got a no trade clause that has eight teams on it. Wouldn't you know it? They're all really good teams, which just <laughs> seems like that's a way for a player to just to get a little more money on the way out the door, right? We saw that with, with Brandon Phillips, got about uh, two, two and a half million to approve a deal uh, by the Reds to the Braves, and the Braves were his hometown team. So it's not like they, they really needed to cajole him. I think it's a, a really smart, 
if you're a veteran player, a really smart move to put those no-trade clause teams in there just so you can have that to play with on your way out the door. Yeah, I think that's a good gamble on his part that uh, he's, he's probably picked the right eight teams. He reads the reports. He saw the Brewers had some interest. He see the Yankees have interest. St. Louis, maybe. Philadelphia. So uh, I think that makes sense from his standpoint. Madison Bumgarner is the key guy to keep an eye on for the Giants. I think there are two big-time pitchers in that division to keep an eye on. The other one would be Zach Greinke uh, with with the Diamondbacks. Now, the Arizona's played well. Uh, I, I don't know that they expect to be contending when the trade deadline rolls around. That will be something to look at. I, I'm not sure either one of them gets traded. From what I hear, Greinke loves it uh, in Arizona. He also has a limited no-trade clause. I'm sure that he was very smart about the teams that he put on that. In San Francisco case, it, it's time to move on. It's time to get going with that uh, a rebuild. Uh, obviously, they won three World Series, uh, and they certainly try to extend the stars that uh, helped get them those World Series. Uh, and I understand that. It's hard to move away from that, but it certainly is time in the Giants' case. But I, I do think that team is a reluctant team to do that. Uh, they are very well supported by their fans. Uh, they want the fans to keep coming out there. They want the excitement. Uh, Bumgarner is a hero, obviously, one of the greatest pitchers of all time in the postseason. And I think that it's admirable that they don't want to upset their fans, but uh, it is time to uh, really consider a, a trade for Bumgarner. I'm just not sure that they're going to be able to do it because a half-year Bumgarner, even though if it's going to include October, because presumably it's a playoff team that goes for him and he's fantastic in October, I'm not sure you're going to get that huge prospect that's going to blow away the fans and excite them. Obviously, Goldschmidt, similar type player in terms of cachet and production. Uh, I think Arizona did well to get what they got in this uh, day and age, the way the environment is, and teams do not want to give up prospects. You're not going to get the A number one prospect, even yeah. for a Madison Bumgarner. So I, I don't think they're going to get that guy, and I'm not so convinced that they're going to move him. So I, I, even though there's going to be a lot of talk about Bumgarner and Greinke, I'm going to bet right now that both of them stay where they are. Well, two last thoughts on both those guys. First of all, with Arizona, they've got seven of the top 75 draft picks coming up in June. So they're, they're in good shape one way or another. Absolutely. Bumgarner, I, I think people would be surprised to know he's not 30 yet. And this is a guy whose who's spin rate has gone crazy this year. I mean, that's improved greatly. He's got the, the highest strikeout-to-walk ratio of his career right now at 6-1. to one. I mean, so this is absolute top-of-the-line Bumgarner form right now, and that makes it even a, a juicier dilemma, I suppose, for the Giants on, on what to do. John, as always, wonderful information, wonderful repartee. Appreciate you every time. We'll do it again in a week. Sounds good. All right. That is John Heyman. want to thank our guests as well, Nick Kroll and Jeff Blum, for having come on. This is Josh Lewin thanking you very much for tuning in. Make sure that you do it again and uh, sprinkle the infield, as we like to say. Tell your friends all about the, the program here. It is called Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Radio.com Sports Big Time Baseball. Brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Josh Lewin and John Heyman will be back next week diving into the latest across Major League Baseball. See you later! This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.